Our focus has been for quite a season, as you all know, on Matthew's gospel, and especially in these last, in these last few months on the Sermon on the Mount. Let me just quickly bring us um, in, a, in a summary way up, up to where we are today. The whole of the gospel begins with the preaching and the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't know the, the, the details of all that he had been saying and, and communicating around what we call the Holy Land and the parts near it. But he had been preaching and teaching for some time and the crowds had been coming. The crowds have been coming. And undoubtedly, undoubtedly, many miracles have happened. So his fame has grown. And now he has taken apart up the mountain those who are behaving like they are serious. Not all the crowds, but those who are indicating by their behavior or by their words that they want to learn from this rabbi from Nazareth as they think of him. And he has told them repeatedly that the way to enter the kingdom of God requires repentance. Now he's speaking to Jewish people. He's speaking to men and women who understood from their earliest memories that God had chosen them to be his people. That God had called them to be his and that they belong to him. So they know that. But Jesus is telling them, but if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be a part of God's kingdom forever, you have to repent. You have to repent. You have to change course. You have to let your life go in a different direction than it's going. And for many, that was very puzzling, as well as it is even today. A person like me, who's been a part of the church for his whole life, does not like the word repent. Hmm? Um, so I'm not different. We're, we're all that way. And Jesus has illuminated that in the, in the, in the blessed be, the, the, the wonderful teaching that he first began when he brings them apart and calls them up the mountain. If you're serious, let me tell you how you must be if you're going to be blessed. And he gives the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when your spirit is broken. That's an image of repentance. Poor in spirit means your pride has been broken in your repentance. Blessed are you when you are mourning. And Jesus is clearly, clearly in that instance referring to the mourning over what has been that must be left behind, the things that have been done wrong, the things that should have been done. The mourning is the mourning of one who has repented. And blessed are the meek, which is a word so easy for us to misunderstand because it means teachable. Blessed will you be if you let me teach you, and so on. And the Lord has made it clear that those who follow him have a responsibility in the world. Among those who do not know God, among those who do not obey God, among those even who revile God. If you follow me, you have a responsibility in the world. You are to be the salt in the world until all things are fulfilled. You are to be the light in the middle of the darkness until the light overcomes totally all that is dark. 
And you are to be a people of the Word of God. You are to be a people who live under the authority of the Word of God. Now, the moment any of them heard that, it's no different than when we hear it. Well, what do you think I've been doing? <laughs> trying to, anyway. Well, that's not what the Lord is trying to communicate. The Lord is trying to communicate that there is a way to try to keep the laws that doesn't lead to life. There's a way to keep the law that keeps you from repenting. There's an attitude of heart toward others that must change. And he has repeatedly, repeatedly spoken to us that there is a right way to understand the law of God and a wrong way. You've heard, but I say to you. And I, I've coined the phrase in the last few months, Jesus is taking up a position as the Lord of the law. Jesus is speaking as the one who has total authority to interpret the law of God. And what he is showing to us, if our eyes and our hearts are open, is that we are to rightly live in the light of the law of God. The commandments of God are good and righteous all together. And we are to learn rightly to live in the, in the light of that law. The psalmist today, we've already said it once, that God shows us who love him the path of life. And the way he shows us is he gives us his word. He doesn't give us John Schuler's word or Mike Knight's word or, or Al Magdonis' word. He gives us his word. So the duty of, of, a, of a preacher is to bring the word of God out into the open in such a way that we see it and we understand it. And when we, when we hear it, we believe it. And where we are amiss, we ask God's forgiveness and, and seek by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in the right way under the law of God. Well, today we come to one of those beautiful summary teachings of our Lord, of our Lord which gather up a whole lot of other things, which sort of give us a little bit like a, it's a silly illustration, I suppose, but it pops into my head, like a flashlight to find our path. It's not the whole of the path. It's a window into the whole. It's, a, it's, a, it's an illumination that gives us a way to begin to be oriented. To be oriented. Not that everything is contained in it, but that it is a very, very critical, very critical single verse. And we've had a number so far. Repent and believe if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Follow me. No one else. Follow me, said Jesus, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Our, our, our Lord gives from time to time these glorious summaries. He's given another one earlier. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. How our lives will be different if we increasingly pray for the attitude of heart and mind and soul and strength to seek first the kingdom. And we come today to one that probably everyone in the room grew up hearing about. The golden rule, it gets called. It's not actually titled that in the scriptures, 
but it's given to us through history that way. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. Whatever you wish that others would do for or to you, do for them. Do to them. What an amazing thing. But immediately thereafter, and I'm going to delay it till next week and come back to it, God willing, Jesus says, now this way that I'm teaching you about is hard. And most people don't want to go there. The vast majority would prefer the easy way that doesn't lead to life. But I'm going to call you to the narrow way. And it's hard. But it leads to life. Well, we'll lay, we'll lay that aside, but come back to the golden rule. Whatsoever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now remember the context. Jesus is consistently teaching. You might think of it as cords, of, uh, uh, strands of his teaching. About our right relationship with God. Our Father. And our right understanding of ourselves and our condition. In the presence of a holy God. And our right relationship with others. And those are the three things that have woven through the Sermon on the Mount all the way up to today, chapter 7, verse 12. Now today, that's, this summary is given to us about others. Now why would that be? In the context, let me give you a, a supposition. A supposition. Jesus has been absolutely teaching in a way that will keep our, our, our eyes and our understanding on God the Father and what he wants of us. On God the Father and how we are to be. On God the Father and his desire to bless us. But the moment Jesus has taught his disciples about asking and seeking and finding, which comes in the context of wanting to help others come into the kingdom. In the context. It's about others learning to love God. It's about others coming under the will of God. It's about us coming under the will of God. He knows, I suppose, that 99.9% .9 of us, when we hear the word ask, start thinking about ourselves. We start thinking about ourselves. Uh, and so our asking and our seeking and our knocking is, oh God, please cure this hangnail. Oh, God, please help me pay my bills, whatever. You know, we, we immediately what? We immediately go into ourselves. I, I know he knows. I believe he knows that. And thus he, 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 he pivots for a moment. And he says, now, whatever it is you truly want, you should want for others. The way you would like the world to be treating you, you should be treating the world. The way you'd like your spouse to be treating you, you should be treating your spouse the same way. Your brother, your sister, your neighbor, your boss, your friends, whatsoever you would like them to do for you, you be about the business of doing for them. I know that 
the moment we stop and think about it, as opposed to just say it with our lips, which is so easy, the moment we stop to think about it, pray about it, meditate upon it, we begin to realize how difficult it is. It really is very difficult. It takes an instant for us to turn our thoughts to our own selves, to our own needs, to our own wants, to our own attitudes, to our own preferences. The way is narrow that cares about others the way we care about ourselves. It's important to remember whenever we look at a single verse or a single portion of the scripture that there's much more and often it gives it a bigger context and so we must be aware and careful not to so understand one place that we become enemies of another place. And so I want to acknowledge before you, though Jesus doesn't speak it here, it's not always that easy. Let's just say, my brother who's back today, and I have come over a season of time to know we are quite different. We have different hobbies, we have different ideas, we like different teams. He likes the wrong team and I like the right team. Those kind of things. And so you will discover over time that what you like may not be what he likes. Like that you would like something done for you or given to you that actually will cause the opposite reaction in him. So love and relationship in Christ with a, with a brother like that is learning to understand what it is that will bless him. It's not always, well, it'll bless me, so it'll bless him. Hmm? You know what I'm saying? When I preached last Sunday in North Carolina, a wonderful experience, a church that I was a little bit involved in helping to start 20 years ago, asked me back for the 10th anniversary 10 years ago to preach and asked me back for the 20th. I very, was very honored. But I, if any of you know Fayetteville, North Carolina, you know that the nearer you get to Fayetteville, the higher the testosterone level. There's lots of military up there, lots of males, lots of, lots of aggression, lots of big vehicles. You reckon that most people are packing you, you better behave up there because you're going to get whacked if you don't, right? But people I love in a church community I love, well, loving me, they gave me a gift when the sur- in the middle of the service or near the end. I don't know who they think I am. It didn't fit me at all. But I know that it was given out of love. Now, doesn't that happen in our lives, especially with those we know the best? They try to bless us in a way that goes over our grain. Don't you know how that happens? How you do it to her and how sometimes she does it to you? That bending over backwards to do the right thing, you do the wrong thing. Matt, can I get a witness back there in the corner? <laughs> so, so it's not always simple. That's all I'm saying. But it's still true. Whatsoever you would want them to do for you, 
do to them. Now, what is it you really want? Well, it is you want joy, you want affirmation, you want comfort, you want understanding, you want encouragement, you want pardon. That's what we want, and that's what they want, that's what they need as well. And Jesus is telling us that we are agents we are agents of the kingdom of God. We don't just receive it and get the blessing of it. We are to be growing in our ability to be agents of the kingdom for others. And sometimes that's all the joyful things that we want to give. We all love that season. But what about when we're in sorrow? What about when we're in pain? What about when we're lonely? What about when we feel that we have been rejected or cast off? Think what you want in a situation like that. Unexpectedly, I was away another week in October. I didn't expect to be away two Sundays, but a dear, dearly beloved brother in Christ, a dear friend of Cynthia and John, was three times near death in late September and early October, and we felt, for all the positive reasons that I think human beings could feel for someone they love and the family of that, of that one we love, Cynthia and I felt we had to go to Arkansas. We didn't have a choice. It was our duty in, under God in love to get in a plane and go out there, because either we were gonna pray for David to survive or we were going to be there with his children and his grandchildren and all who loved him in the time of his loss. And we found him barely hanging on, but beginning to seem to turn the corner, beginning to seem to be coming back. And what a joy that was. But we found a family in disarray. Four children, 13 grandchildren. And you know the source of the main pain in that family? How few in Arkansas had come to them. And we came from South Carolina. And as we tried to unpack the pain that we encountered, that their expectation of how the community would have responded to David and to them, had not been what they expected. But it became clear to us as we tried to navigate that, to bless them, to hug them, to cry with them, to encourage them, to pray with them, to recognize that people were giving them space because people thought that's what they wanted. A family of, 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 of a very prosperous family, a very outwardly uh, blessed family, a family that seems to always be on top of the things, a, a family system, if I will put it to you that way, that seems to everybody to really have it together and to be very self-contained, caring for one another, children and daughters-in-law and grand, very tight, very tight. So in love, many who love them in their own community were keeping their distance because of their perception that they preferred things to be taken care of in their own family. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
And if you at all find yourself every once in a while wanting to throw your, your telephone into the, into the ocean because you get too much stuff, imagine if you belong to a community of five or 600 people on a Sunday and they all start texting to see how you're doing or what's going on. And so there was this desire to hold back, not out of a lack of love, but trying to do unto others what they thought would be the right thing. So all I'm trying to say by giving you that illustration, and by God's grace, it was broken through. By God's grace, and maybe with a little piece of why God had Cynthia and John go, they began to recognize that. And it began to be aware, they began to be aware that they were actually giving off a message without words. That we've got this. Do you see what I'm saying? So to do unto others as you would have them do unto you is sometimes quite complex. Well, the rest of the verse, just verse 12, is almost never, never, never preached about in my experience because after saying this is how you are to relate to others Jesus says this is the law and the prophets how you are dealing with others if you're dealing with them in God's way is what the law and the prophets are all about. That you would have a right relationship with others if you dare to imagine you have a right relationship with God. If I have chosen you, I have chosen you that you will be like this with others. If you are mine, you will be like this with others. If you perceive yourself to have been drawn into my kingdom, this is how you give my kingdom away. This is the law and the prophets. Think about that. From Genesis to Malachi, 39 books of what, since Kenneth has come, I'm learning to call the Bible of Jesus. The Bible of Jesus, Genesis to Malachi, how you're relating to others shows if you've understood the law and the prophets. Our Lord, our Lord has taught us, if we've had our eyes and hearts open, that the word of God will not pass away. Our Lord will go on in the subsequent teaching that is not yet uh, been brought to us in the Sermon on the Mount to tell us the word of God cannot be broken. And he will go on to teach that the word of God will judge us. That everything we've done in our lives, all that we've said and all that we've done, will come under the scrutiny of the law and the prophets. And he's told us now it's not like an unexpected judgment is coming. The Lord consistently and repeatedly and wonderfully says, this is the way, walk in it. My word is a lamp unto your feet, a path. The golden rule, 
you shall do to others as they do, you would have them do to you. We know that later in the gospel, Jesus will again take up a summary that brings God into it. And we call that one the great commandment, even though it's two commandments. Okay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. That's the first one. And love your neighbor. That's the second one. Now what slips in there, and we must see, is as you love yourself. Jesus does not have to be told that I am selfish. Jesus does not have to try to talk to me about loving myself. He knows how I am. He knows how you are. He never teaches us because he made us. But he's trying to help us see that if we don't understand his love and how it relates to us in our relationship to our neighbors, we have not understood. The word of the Lord is the word of God. It's not the word of a man. And we have to feed on it. We have to read it. We have to mark it. We have to learn it. We have to beg God to make it inwardly digested so that we live in it. We live it. We begin to know when we are going astray. We begin to know when we have to say, I'm sorry. We begin to know when we must repent. But above all, we know that when we ask our Heavenly Father to live this way, He gives the Holy Spirit in Jesus that we may begin the journey. And it's never too late. Let us pray. Lord, there's a sense in which you have shown us that we, in some sense, start over every day. That every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's a start over prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Let your word live in us, Lord. Let it illuminate our minds. Let, us, let it illuminate and change our hearts and be the guide to our feet, the way we live. We ask this in Jesus, our Lord's name. Amen.